Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Injured at work in a motor vehicle accident or had a fall in a public space? Speak to Your Claim Lawyers, a no-win, no-fee, personal injury claims law firm that specialises in maximising compensation claims for injured people. Call 1-800-YOUR-CLAIM or yourclaimlawyers.com.au. Is coming in gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. First ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne. And he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. To this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. Everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, there were few better showmen in Australian basketball than Daryl McDonald, the six foot four point guard from New York. Hit our courts in a blaze of glory in 1994, going on to win three NBL titles, three All-NBL First Team honours, and being crowned the league leader in steals eight times in a glittering 14-year career down under that lasted until he was 44. D-Mac, as he is universally known, had a tremendous basketball career, but he's also lived an incredible life. D-Mac, hello. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Where, Appreciate where, it. Where do we find you at the moment? Um, right now. Right now. I'm actually sitting, yeah, I'm sitting on this chair watching this college basketball game. (laughs) (laughs) COVID has affected all of us. I mean, are you still involved with the junior program at Knox? And and if so, you you must take a fair bit of satisfaction out of that sort of line of work. Uh, yeah, I am still involved. And, you know, it's actually, it's actually good to get back to it. You know, because of COVID, hasn't been a lot of basketball. But now that we, you know, they've let us fall let us off the hook. We slowly but surely getting back into it. So, yeah, no, it's good. When you were a younger kid, D-Mac, you, you were born, you were raised in Harlem. I think it was 146th Street and 7th Avenue. Is one of what? Was it eight brothers? Uh, seven brothers. I'm the youngest of eight. Now, in saying that, we didn't, we didn't all... So I grew up, in my younger days, I grew up with my mother. So I lived with my mother. Me and, another, me and one of my older brothers lived with my mom, and all my other brothers lived with my dad. But I used to go and stay with my dad every summer. So, so every summertime, I would go stay with my dad. Sure, sure. So Harlem, um, D-Mac, particularly in the 70s, 80s, and obviously the 90s, was a long way from Melbourne in every sense of the word. I mean, what was your childhood What was <laughs> yeah, your childhood like there? And, I mean, the obvious question is, just how dangerous was it uh, growing up on the streets of Harlem? Um, it was tough, you know what I mean? But, like, again, I had I had basketball to, to take me away from that stuff. But, yeah, no. Growing up there, like with the where I lived at, you know, there was there was just, it, and especially at that time, right? And I, it's funny because I usually don't bring up the, you know, all the all the drug stuff, but during that time is when a, 
a drug came along called crack, right? So in that early, and you know, in that early '80s, coming in into the '90s, the the drug called crack came, and then when that came, like it kind of ravaged, it just ravaged the city. You know what I mean? And so, you know, you come out your house, like we lived, I lived in an apartment building and you come out your apartment and the drugs, you know, people there are selling drugs right there. And, you know, no matter where you go, you couldn't get away from it. But what I, what again, for me, what I used to do is I used to go, um, go to the park or go to dinner, like in the wintertime. So it was either, it was basketball, it was basketball all year round. But for us in the summer, we played softball, baseball, and in the winter we played football. But we can always in the winter we can always go to the gym and hoop. In the summer we can just go to the park. But yeah, no, it was tough, man. Like you, you, you know, you watch your back and you always, you always on your, you always on your toes. You know what I mean? Always looking over your shoulders and, and things like that. Lucky enough to have, you know, seven older brothers who kind of kept me. You know, they kept me away from that stuff. Even though I didn't live with them, they still kept me away from that stuff. And then just guys that, just guys that lived in the hood. You know, that grew up in the hood, you know, they, they always looked out for, always looked out for the younger ones. So obviously crack changed everything, but the basketball you always had, I mean, that, as you say, that was your saviour as much as maybe your siblings were. When did you first find a basketball in your hands, D-Mac? Can you remember? I was really, really young. Like I was, I, I was young. Like I, I used to play all, like I played all the time. Like we used to have, you know, like it's funny because I did, I, I did a drill with, with some kids on a um, rubbish bin. Oh, I, well, I didn't do it with them kids. I did it myself. But during the COVID, like if you didn't have a basketball court at your house, just go get a rubbish bin and shoot on that. I, grew up, I actually grew up. We call them garbage cans in the States. We used to play on garbage cans, you know what I mean, at a, at a young age. But then one of my brothers also played. So I used to, like as much as again, I loved every sport, but I I took I guess I took to basketball more when my brother played, and I used to go with him to all his games. You know what I mean? So every so all summer he'd be playing all summer, but every game he would take me to every game with him. So that's probably where I fell like really really in love with him, and pretty much said this is what I want to do. And not only that, because he played college basketball, he played at the University of Wake Forest. He took me to camp, so I went to I went to camp three years straight at Wake Forest. You know what I mean? And that that was my, you know, that was pretty much saying, listen, this is what you want to do. So, D-Mac, the, obviously, for those that don't know, the, the playground scene in New York is big time. It's it's a huge deal. So, Rucker Park and the like. And everyone has a nickname, don't they? And, and I don't want to embarrass you here, but you were known as the Playground King, a.k.a. Mr. Excitement. I mean, who did you lock horns with on those courts? And how do you think back <laughs> on those times in your mind now? Playground King came from my college coach. Mr. Excitement is is what I got during the during the Rucker Park days, right? So, and I played like the names. So a lot of guys I always bring up these because I played with these guys and I played against them. The Terminator was one, uh, Master Rob was one, Doogie was one. You know, Steve Burt, Pookie Wilson. When you think of names, you got guys like they called the Monster, the Jedi, uh, Smiley. Uh, the Jedi. I play. I actually played with him. That was Mario Ellie. He played in NBA for. He yep. played in NBA for some years. He played. So again, you you in, in street ball. You don't give you people. You don't give yourself a nickname. Like you, you got to earn that. You know what I mean. And that's where that's where that's what makes street ball what it is. You you earn your nickname, and then you you can pretty much go by it. 
You know what I mean? People, but that's the thing. D Mac was always my name. People never really actually called me <laughs> Mr. Excitement unless I'm playing. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, so, unless I'm playing. So, D Mac, this was obviously essentially your basketball education right here. But, but what about the more traditional education, high school? How long did you last in high school, D Mac? Not long. I'm going to tell you the honest truth. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, was, I, was, I'm a, I was a knucklehead. You know what I mean? Like I, I, you know, I used to go, but I actually didn't go. You know, I've been. I'm. Mean, it's funny though. My story is, is interesting. I've been pretty. I've been pretty lucky, and basketball has done, like, actually done pretty much wonders for me. You know what I mean? So ninth grade, it was one of those situations where I just, like I said, I used to just go to school, but I wasn't going to class. You know what I mean? And then they caught on to it and say, oh well, we don't want you here. So I ended up getting kicked out of that school. So I went to three or four. I went to three or four different high schools, right? Never getting the opportunity to play high school basketball. You know what I mean? Until so I went to another. This, my not my last school, but the school before my last school was called Park East. We played high school basketball, but it wasn't on the same level as the actual, you know, like the real high school, like the PSA. Uh, what is it, the Catholic League? And the, I think it was the PSAL. I never played in those leagues, and then end up. You know, Park East closed down, and I ended up going to a school to get my GED, which is a, a general a general equivalency diploma. Mm. So I was taking classes there, and then I ended up getting my ended up getting my diploma. And all at the same time, I was playing in the um in the summer in this in this summer tournament called Chicks Chicks All Star. God rest his soul. He was a he was a friend of mine. I was playing in his tournament, and this guy actually seen me playing, and actually was I in school? And I was like, well, no, not right now. He said, do you want to go back to school? And I was like, sure. So I end up, you know, I end up going to, I end up going to junior college. So he called the coaches down. The coaches came and watched me play. And they was, you know, they was really like, you know, they really liked me. The week after that, they came and see my mother, you know, visit my grandmother, my family. And then I was in school in August. And that pretty much started my journey to where I ended up. So I ended up leaving there. Um, two years uh, at Westchester Community College. I made All-American my second year. Then I uh, ended up going to Texas A&M, you know, played, played there for two years and thought I was going to the NBA. And, that, you know, that's a dream for all kids growing up in the hood. You, you, you want to go to the NBA. And that was, that was always, that was my, once again, like I said, once playing with my brother. Because my brother tried out for the NBA, too. He didn't make it. Following him around and plan yeah of course we want to make the nba it's the best league in the world but that opportunity didn't happen for me you know i had a i had a after college i had a trial with the new jersey nets and i went in there you know just that just to get the tryout you know i was happy to get that tryout but i didn't play my actual game like i went in there and played the way they wanted me to play and then they you know after about three or four days they end up cutting me you know what i mean like i had to get a job so I had to work. I had three. I had three sons at the time. So I had to, you know, I had to work. So from from after not making it. So and again, I, I used the summer. The summer league. We guys played in the summer league. Summer league was like a job for us. Like a, especially for a guy like myself. So because I used to play with all the guys that had money, right? And again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm much as I don't like talking about it, but these guys. So you know, they were they were drug dealers. So they made they had all the money. So they put all these teams together. I always was on one of those teams, and I always earned money playing with those guys. So that was my summer. Job. You mentioned you you got three little boys at this point in time, and you're obviously, as you say, hooping all the time. You're playing all the time, but you had to get a day job. What did you end up doing just to make ends meet? It must have been a difficult time for you. So I end up I end up working at, at Toys R Us, this, the the toys like the toy store. Yeah, yeah, in New and Jersey. And then I did that. It was in New Jersey. Yeah, I end up I end up doing that for about a couple of months, and then the, the craziest thing happened. Right, so me and my friend, so on our on our way to work. And uh, so we stopped in the store to get some lunch. And then these guys come in the store. 
And like, I, we don't know them. And then we come out the store. So they come out the store. I don't know whether they follow us or not. So they get in the car, we cross the street, they make a U-turn, then they cut in front of us, you know, and I'm not paying, me and my friend, we're not paying it no mind. And then where I lived at, so I grew up, like I said, you grew, I grew up on 146th and 7th. We was on 145th and 7th. So we was walking from 145th to 146th to get in the, to get in the car to go to work. And so as we turn, as we get to 46th Street, They've gone all the way. So they've gone all the way to 8th Avenue, turned all the way around and came down 46th Street. And so I looked at my friend. I said, dude, I said, you, do you know these guys? I said, I swear they're following us. And he was like, like, he didn't pay it no mind. And then they stopped at right on the corner of 146 and got out the car, got pulled out a shotgun and shoots at us. Scared, you know what I mean? So me and my friend took off running. Like none of us got hit, but there was a guy that was standing there that ended up getting hit in his foot, actually a friend of mine. He ended up getting hit in his foot. And then to this day, I still don't know why that happened. You know, for a couple of weeks, I got to walk around carrying a pistol. And that's I, that's not me. Like, that's the last. I, wanna, I don't want to be walking around carrying a gun. But I had to for protection. And so my brother, another one of my, so one of my brothers, two of my brothers lived in Connecticut, which is like two and a, like a two-hour drive from New York. So they lived in Connecticut. My, my brother came down. He was like, dude, come up and, you know, come up and stay with us, come up and stay with us. And I was like, okay. So I ended up leaving Harlem and, and not necessarily moving to Connecticut, but going to Connecticut to stay, stay with my brother. But at that same time, I was actually working. So I actually had a job. I was working on the Navy. We, I was working on the Navy base. I was working in an officer's club on the Navy base. But what I did was I played every day. So every, every, like after every, after every day of work and every weekend, I would still go down to New York so I could see my so I could see my kids. But then Monday, you know, Monday or Sunday night come, I'm back in Connecticut, you know, back to work and working. And then I, I get this call to go try out in the CBA, and God damn, I didn't make it. You know, I did. I got cut. Ended up getting cut around May or around April, May. I got a call from the same coach. He wanted me to try out in this W. It's called the WBL. It was a six four and under league. So I ended up going to that tryout. Still didn't make it. So I ended up getting cut on that. But then about two weeks later, he called me back. And then that's where my professional career started. At the actual same time, my daughter, so I, my, my, my girlfriend at the time was pregnant. So I, I, my daughter was born. So I had to leave the day my daughter was born. You know, June 28th, I had to, I had to leave the day she was born, God rest her soul. And I had to meet them in Connecticut. So I ended up jumping on a plane to Connecticut. And from Connecticut, we ended up flying to Vegas. And then, then from there, I just played, like, I played every, I played for like 11 months out of the year. So I played that, and then I ended up making the CBA. The, the, after, so after that summer, because this was a summer tournament, so after that summer, I ended up playing in the CBA, which started in October. So I always, I went, I usually went October to like May, June to September. That was my whole year. I did that for like four years straight. And then an opportunity for me to come here. You're listening to This Is Just Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, of course, a family-owned business since 1934. We've just lifted the lid on Daryl McDonald's incredible story. But next, as DMAC has just suggested, it has its most significant moment when he makes the life-changing move to Australia. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, 
It's great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We're with NBL legend Daryl McDonald. Well, DMAC, you're at Sioux Falls, South Dakota, when an Australian basketball coach by the name of Brett Brown is watching a tape on the other side of the world of one of your games. And he was actually scouting one of your teammates, Cedric Hunter. But you go on <laughs> you go on to have a great game. Uh, yeah. He wasn't, it's funny, a lot of people don't know that, but he wasn't watching me. He was watching somebody else. And I think what he, what he, what he said, because when I, again, I was, was I, I was starting, I was starting at that time. But when I, I, I was playing a two, and then when Cedric goes out, I played a one. But mm-hmm. when I played a one, just the game, like, the, the game just changes. And I think that's what he saw. And then he was like, you know, I'm recruiting the wrong guy. And then I find, you know, I, it's funny, I came, we came back, we played in uh, Rapid City, so we had a game in Rapid City, and I probably had one of my best games then. And then I come back, and my agent said, listen, you know, we, this uh, Brett is going to call you. So he called me, and then we had a chat, and he said, you know, do you want to come to Australia? And it, I actually didn't even think about, like, I didn't care about money, I didn't think about nothing. And I was, the first thing I was like was, yeah, definitely. You know what I mean? And not only that, like, I knew... I knew they took point guards because I knew Ricky Grace. So Ricky Grace was here at the time. And I knew Ricky because I played against Ricky in college. Yep. And I knew he was over here. So I was like, yeah. You know, it wasn't it wasn't even a question, man. You know what I mean? And the opportunity came. I, you know, got here, jumped off a plane, you know, went, stayed in a hotel for a day. And then I was down in Warrnambool for a week. So that was a... That was good. That was different. <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> you know I mean? your, your first impressions of Australia, DMAC, and the lingo and everything, can you take us back to that point in time? It must have been surreal. It was, yeah, no, it was, 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 it was good. It was wild, but it was good. Did so, you get you know, a, get did you get a pie? And... Did you get a pie into you down at Warrnambool there? No, no, no one thing. I don't, I'm one of those, I don't, I don't, I don't go out of my way to try different things. <laughs> So I actually, I never, I never tried a pie, but what I did try, I love like, I, I love the chicken pies. I'll give you that because I grew up, we grew up eating them. Yep. You know, we called them pot pies back in the States, but they would, they had chicken, not beef. Like I never, I actually never had a, a, a beef pie, you know what I mean? So, but I got picked up and then, you know, when who the guy picking up, so Pat Reedy, I think it was Pat Reedy, Paul Reed, and Larry Sinstock, or maybe Rod Jones. I can't remember. And they picked me up at the airport. You know what I mean? And or they meet Brett picks me up at the airport. They meet with Brett, they pick me up at the airport. Brett takes me to the hotel. And then, you know, I'm in a hotel overnight. Not really going nowhere. I just stayed in my room. I didn't go nowhere. And then the next morning Brett came and picked me up. And then we drove, you know, we drove all the way down to we drove all the way to Warnable and I'm sitting in I'm sitting in the car. I didn't even ask him. I'm just you know, I'm just we just we he's talking and I'm listening. I'm not really and we end up you know, on the long drive and, you know, I'm seeing cows and, you know, horses and things like that. Cause you know, it's country on that drive. You know what I mean? And I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about it. I'm going to tell you what I was looking for. I was looking for some kangaroos and I'm going to tell you why my brother, my brother been here before my brother. Oh, been here. Cause he's in the Navy and he go, yo man, when you get over there, yo, it's going to be kangaroos walking on the streets like dogs. <laughs> this is what my brother told me. So the first thing, 
I'm on the street. I'm looking like I'm looking for actually kangaroos on the street. Oh, he, he sucked you in there. <laughs> and I'm sitting up there going, yeah, he sucked me in big time. And, I'm like, and I caught, after that, I, I actually, when I finally talked to him, I said, dude, ain't no kangaroos. Kangaroos don't be on the streets, man. He said, oh, yeah, yes, they do, man. I seen it when I was there. This was in the, you know, this was early, like this was the 80s, 70s. I said, kangaroos don't be on the streets. I had to go to the zoo to see him. You know what I mean? Stop. Don't, you know, don't lie, don't lie like that. So that's what I was looking for. And I never got to see none on Did, that, on that, on that trip. But then we, we down there and it's just, you know, we just, it's just training and stuff like that. If you, if you don't mind me asking DMAC, it was obviously a different world back then in the world of sport, particularly financially. What, what was the salary package to, to get you out here in the end? Can you, can you give us an idea what it looked like? So my first, yeah, my first contract, I made 40,000 US, so it was US dollars. Yep. At that time. And again, I, I when I I didn't know I didn't know I didn't know how the money worked. I reckon it took me a couple of years before I even realized how the money worked here. You know what I mean? I always I, I used to think it was the same. And then they somebody explained it to me that the dollar like, you know, the dollar was different and then at that time the dollar was it might have been it might have been like a, the, the American dollar was it was high, like it was actually higher high, because like, I know I remember one time it was actually even. You know what I mean, and that's when I started to understand how the dollar works. So we, you know, they said we got you gave me forty uh, forty grand. You know, they they put you in a place to stay, give you a car to drive. You know what I mean, and that was that was that was it. Like I said, I I actually didn't really care about the money. I just wanted to play some because I was in the CBA for four years before I came here. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I wanted. I wanted to wanted to do something different. You, you fell in love with the pancake you know, parlor, though, didn't you? Didn't you and Matty Shanahan get to the pancake parlor every big, night? Uh, every every day, man. Every day after training, so we trained. So that first year, so my first year, we used to train. So we used to shoot in the morning and lift. So the, so Monday was Monday, Wednesday, and Friday we shoot. Oh no, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday we lift. Tuesday and Thursday would shoot, but after, because we trained in the afternoon, we trained at night, so we trained at like five, so we went five to seven every um, every day, but every, after every session, so every, every session in the morning, we go to Pancake Parlor, I was, and I, I don't know whether, I, I don't think we missed a session, man. <laughs> I don't think we missed a day, every time we was, every time we here, we always end up in the Pancake Parlor, one right in Northlands. Ah, oh, Jesus. You know what I mean? And I still, I still, I actually still go there to this day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because my son, Darrell, Darrell loves it. My daughter loves it. So we still, like, we still go. We just go to the one that, we go to the one up at Knox. Fantastic. So. You know what I mean? You, so. you join, you join, D-Mac, you join the Brett Brown coach, North Melbourne Giants. And as you mentioned, you have teammates of the like of Sengstock, Reedy, Shanahan, Maley. You win the 1994 championship after hitting the game-winning shot in overtime to clinch game one of that final series. I mean, life must have been good at this point. Uh, yeah. No, it turned out, it turned out, like, we, we had a solid, like, we had a good year. You know what I mean? I think what the year what made the year solid is I was the only. So he brought back the same team he had the year before. I was the only change, so I was the only new guy he added. I think maybe me and one other guy, and then we end up, end up we went on to win the championship. And then you know again as coming out as an import, you gotta have you gotta take that on. So I was I was taking the last shot regardless. I missed it in the first half. I mean in the first get, before the overtime I missed it, but. I'm always going to take the last shot. You know, that's how, that's how I felt. And, again, as an import, that's how I felt I had to. 
And then we, you know, we won that, and then we end up blowing them out in game two. And it's funny though, because we had a um, we had a barbecue after we won it, and then one of the owners came up to me and said, "Listen, we want to like before I left, because I was I left, I think I left. So right after we won, we had the barbecue, and then I left the next day back to the states, mm. back to uh, yeah, back to America. But the owner came up to me and he was like, "Listen, we want to sign you for the two year deal." So they doubled. They doubled the money, so they said pay me eighty U.S. now. Nice. So for two years, yeah. So it was eighty for two years. The problem is that the second year never happened because the um, the team folded or didn't didn't fold. I don't know what happened, but we never we 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 end up never. We I played ninety five, but then that ninety six year. Was everything was all everything was new? Like we got new owners, new everything. But money, the money wasn't a lot because it was new guys took over. They didn't put a lot of money into it, but they took they took it over to, to, to keep us on board. And then that that was the same time I brought. I ended up bringing my kid. I ended up bringing my kids out. And you know what I mean, like what, that ninety six, that, that ninety six year. What were your impressions of the league at this point? I mean, because it was a something of a golden era for the NBL. You know, the names like Gaze, Copeland, Grace, Rucker, Bradkey. What, what did you make of the standard of the league at that in those early days, those early years? Uh, I thought it was good. You know, I, I, I thought the league, I thought the league was good. I mean, like I said, I think it was more. Again, for imports. So back then, you know, you got two imports, and your two imports were your team, pretty much. Mm. You know what I mean? And if you got if you got good Aussies, then you got an opportunity to do some, you know what I mean, to do some damage. But you're, you're, you bring your imports out. Your imports pretty much not necessarily had to do everything, but they had to do their jobs. But then, you know, to accommodate when you got good import, you got good Aussies to accommodate that. Then you then you you, you got a you got a solid group. You know what I mean, and like that for us. That first year, we played, we played zone for a whole year, which I think it was. I think it was surprising. You know what I mean? We just surprised teams because we just zoned the whole year, and teams wasn't ready for it. Mm. You know what I mean? And but then after that, we we, we played zone in, man. You're with you know, uh, the league. The standard was really the standard was really good. Yeah, because not only that, a lot of those guys like Leonard, I played against. A couple of times in the CBA in the states, Robert Rose is another one I played against in the states. You know what I mean? Before they came over, Adonis Jordan, I actually played with Adonis. Uh, you know, before he came, AJ Wanda before Adonis came. So the, the competition was real good. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's like, it was good because it's guys you guys you know, guys you played against. You know what I mean? But the standard was yeah, the standard was really good. You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Just visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Well, after the break, Daryl McDonald just touched on it, but his life takes another twist when the North Melbourne Giants are forced into a merger. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with one of Australian basketball's great entertainers, Daryl McDonald. Well, Daryl, you're back in the US. 
when you get the call from Brett Brown telling you that North Melbourne Giants were about to be absorbed, how much of a shock? It was a, it was a, it was a big shock. Not, I don't think it wasn't that they was going to fold, but somebody, somebody was going to take over, but it wasn't going to be like financially. It was going to be hard. Like it was going to be tough financially. Like I said, going from making eighty. 80 grand US to it wasn't even close to that, but I, I will tell you what happened. So I get a call. So we lost. This was 95. We lost to we lost the grand final to Perth. And so I get back from Perth. I get a call from my mother. And, you know, again, if my mother calls me, there's something going on. You know what I mean? There, there was a problem. So she calls me, leaves a message, call me back as soon as possible. So I call her back and she goes, Jan, which was my kid's mother, Jan lost the kids. And I'm sitting there going, we like, what? What are you talking about? She said, so what happened was she was on the phone, so she left my she left my kids in the house to come call me because I was actually supposed to send her some money. At the time, when she went to the phone, somebody called BCW, which is, is the Bureau of Child Welfare. They called that on her. Right. And the cops came and took my kids. Now, I come back, like, I get on a plane, so straight away, I'm, 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 I'm going, I'm on my, I'm on my way back to the States. So I get home on, like, a Sunday. Right. I'm in, I'm in court. I'm in court on Monday morning trying to, you know, working on, but I had to go through so much. I had to go through so much paperwork and stuff to get custody. You know what I mean? And then the custody case comes. So it's me and my kid's mother. We in court. And guess who the judge is? Was this Judge Judy, D-Mac? It's actually Judge Judy. You can't be serious. It, it was, it was, she didn't have, he didn't have, she didn't have her own show at the time. And if she didn't, I didn't know about it. I only realized it was her when I looked at my court papers. So I, I woke up one day and I, I looked, cut the TV on and I see and I go, I know this lady from somewhere, right? And then her name is, you know, her name is, I think her name is under the, uh, what you call it? It says uh, Judith Shineland. Yep. And so I go look at my court papers and I look up at the top and it's her. Couldn't, could not, I'm telling you, I could not believe it. Wow. So we in court. She pretty much, she was, but she was, she was letting, like, she wasn't too, ha she wasn't happy with my kid's mother. You know what I mean? She was giving her, like, a hard time and everything. And I just told her, I said, like, listen, I want, I want full custody and I'm going to take them. I, I said, I play professional basketball in Australia. I'm going to take them to Australia with me, blah, blah, blah. And she was pretty, you know, Judge Judy was like, really? And she pretty much gave me custody right off the bat. I got custody. I got to get passports. Oh, my sons had passports already because they had came to see me after that. But then I had to get passports and visas and everything for my for my for, for all five of them. And so I called Brett and told him what the situation was. I said, "Listen, I said I just got custody of my kids. I want to bring them back to the, I want to bring them back to Australia." He said, "So what do you need?" I said, "Oh, just you know, just six. I'm gonna need six plane tickets and you know, place to stay, things like that." He said, "Okay, I'm gonna call you back in an hour." Calls me back in an hour. All done. Everything was done. Plane tickets done. Had a place to, you know, a place for all of us to say, oh, this is where uh, Matt Shanahan's mother came into play. Like, she was real, she was real good for me. She was like a nanny. She found me a place. You know, even when the kids were there, she looked after them for years. But we still, like, we were still, like, we still had a team. You know what I mean? But it was just, it was tough times. Then the actual fold came, and that's when the merger came. Yeah. With the uh, Victoria Titans, Titans mm -hmm. or the Southeast Melbourne Magic which became the Victoria Titans. Just tell us about the Titans because they're um, formed and, and Brian Gorgian is the coach, DMAC. Tell us about your first meeting we, with him. So, so I walked in, I sit down, you know, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. He said, are you in? I said, yeah, I'm in. And that was it. And then he pretty much, he asked me about, he asked me about a player. If a player, one, I can't remember who it was. It might've been David Smith. If David Smith can be a backup point guard. And I was like, sure. I, I said, yeah, I think so. And then that was it. 
Yeah. Like seriously, my me, yeah. ain't take that long. So, DMAC, you spend the four years there, but you, 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 do, you don't win the title under Brian. I, I just wonder if that was one of your your bigger regrets because I think you were struck by Brian Gorge and the yeah. coach, weren't you? I mean, in your mind, was he the best yeah. coach in the history of the NBL? Yeah, I think he. Well, I know he is. He was just he was a little bit different. Like he was a different from Brett. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think so. When I first when I first got there, like they were, they both, they both got, they both are very intense, like, like intense, like training intense. Right. But for me, like when we, when I got there, everything was, everything was different. We used to, like I said, we used to lift, we used to shoot. We used to do all that same stuff that they did. We just ain't do it as much. That was the difference when I was with the giants compared to going to the Titans. We, you know, we, 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 would, we, we, we lift. So we was in the gym every, like we lived five days a week and then we were shooting three or four days a week and still training. I was injured. So I ended up, I ended up, cause man, I did my knee the year before and I, I was coming back off a knee injury and then fine, you know, I never, I, I think I'm a, I played like the first 10 games and then I did my knee again. And so I was out. And then I end up coming back at like the end of that season, and yeah, you know, we won. The, we went to the championship, but we 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 end up losing. George, it was it was an interesting one because he sat me down one day and he said, "I just realized I got I just need to let you play." You know what I mean? Because a lot of people were saying, "No, you ain't gonna be able to play for Gorgon. You ain't gonna be able to play for Gorgon because everything was everything was so structured." You know what I mean? Like and he's like, "No, you ain't gonna be able to play for him." Dude, he pretty much that day he sat me down and said, "Listen, man, just go play." I just want you to hoop. And that was it. Like, he pretty much didn't, you know, he didn't take no range and let me go out and hoop. And, then, you know, we, we went to I mean, the two grand, like, we went to two grand finals and lost twice in the semis. And, yeah, if it's one thing that I do regret is not winning the championship. Because we had, like, we had good teams. Like, we had pretty much, we had good teams every year. Like, we finished top of the ladder. Like, you know, I think we finished top of the ladder, like, either two out of two out of four years or three out of four years. But then we get, you know, we got in the finals and the struggle. And then that's the years they, you know, a couple of those years they had that the rule where, you know, the, the it was like the top. I think the top two get a buy, and then, you know, you play against the the lucky loser. You know what I mean? And we always ended up playing somebody, and they always ended up beating us. So we end up losing our top spot. You know what I mean? And then so we end up we end up not making it, not make not winning it. That was it, man. I mean, we just we just couldn't do it. And that was the one thing I regretted. But not only that, I think injuries, as much as I don't want to say that, as good as our teams was, injuries took a toll. You know, we lost Jason Smith one time, we lost um Anstey to we lost Ronaldson for, for a couple of games. So those injury injuries really took a toll on us. And it's funny because the next year when he went to Sydney and they end up winning the championship. He free called me, and I was like, you know, congrats, congrats, Gordon. I said, Mac, just want to say, you know, thanks for everything, but no injuries. That's pretty much what he said. We didn't have no injuries. Mm-hmm. They end up winning the championship. He was good to play for. We're talking to Daryl McDonald on this is your sporting life. All thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives. We'll be back with DMac right after this to go through what was the glorious swan song with the Melbourne Tigers. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. 
Great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Decorated NBL point guard Daryl McDonald has been our guest today. Well, DMAC, the Titans ended up becoming the Victoria Giants after the 01-02 season, but you're let go not long after the club citing a youth direction. Now, you're about to turn 40 but the Melbourne Tigers pick you up where Chris Anstey's returning from Russia. You might have been close to joining Wollongong, but you go and serve as a backup to Andrew Gaze and Leonard Copeland for a couple of years. And um, soon the silverware starts flowing again. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, the Victoria Giants, we had that first year. And, you know, I played under Mark Wright. You know, it was okay. Yeah, I thought we could have did better. But then the next year they called me in and said, listen, you know, we, you know, we're going to get, we're going to let you go because we want to go in another route. You know, we're going to win a, cha- we want to, we're trying to win a championship in the next three to five years. And I go, well, I said, okay, you know, no problem. So I called a friend of mine, Lenard Copeland. And I go, uh, what's the name? I said, yo, the Giants just cut me. He was like, what? He said, I'll call you back in 30 minutes. He actually didn't call me. Seamus McPeak called me. He was the owner of the Tigers at the time. Yeah. You want to play for Melbourne? I was like, yep. He was like, done. <laughs> I went to see. It was like a, I, I might have went to see him the next day, signed the contract. Now I'm on the Melbourne Tigers. So, I'm, you know, I'm playing. I'm with I'm with Lacopes and I'm with uh, Andrew Gaze and Brad Key and, you know, Steve Hall. Daytime. We had a nice little crew. Mm. And I'm coming off the bench. You know, I end up winning six man in the year. and But we could never, we can again, another one of those seeds, we can never get over hunt. Could never get over the hump, you know what I mean? So we end up losing in the first round both years. Drewy retires. Lindsay retires. You know, I know Al's getting a job. Uh, Copes goes to Brisbane along with um, Bracky. They both go to uh, Brisbane. Again, I, I, right now, I don't I actually don't know what's going on, to be honest. But I get a call from Brendan Joyce about coming to Wollongong. And I met him for lunch, and we talked about it. I said, yeah. I said, I'll, I'll go, because, again, I still don't know what's going on with Melbourne. This is no joke. I get a call from Al Thursday night about, must have been about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. You know, D-Mag, what's going on? How you doing? You know, what's happening? I said, yeah, no, I'm all good. And you go, yeah, you know, I just want to talk about next year. And I'm sitting there going, uh, what about next year? And you go, yeah, no, talk about going to China and, you know, a new team and, you know, we got Anthony coming back and, you know, Rashad and Dave Thomas and things like that. And I was like, Al, I'm going, I'm actually going to Wollongong tomorrow to sign a contract. And the phone just went quiet. Like, he didn't say nothing. Like, he, and again, I, like I said, I don't, I didn't know what was going on. And so he said, oh, well, you know, I want you, I definitely want you back. You know what I mean? Like, like I said, that's why, you know, with that team, I think we got opportunity to win the championship, blah, blah, blah. He said, don't, when you go up there, don't sign nothing. Okay, so I flew to Wollongong the next morning, and I actually felt really bad because we, you know, I'm in a car with Brendan, driving. We driving to Wollongong, and I said, "Listen, man, I'm as much as I hate to say it. I'm beyond with you." Al called me last night, and they want me back in the Tigers, and he was like, "You know what? I kind of figured that. You know what I mean? I kind of figured that was going to happen." He said, "All good. You know what I mean? But I'm, you know, I'm still, we still, I'm gonna take you around, show, show you around Wollongong, blah blah blah, and then on my way out." You know, one of the owners said, "Listen, I will." He was gonna give me an extra, you know, like a extra ten grand to sign. So another ten grand on top of what they was gonna give me. And I was like, you know what? When I when I thought about the travel and and all that stuff, because like I said, I had to move my kids, blah blah. blah I had to do a lot. And then I was like, you know what? I'm 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 just gonna go back. But I also, you know, I talked to Shane and said, "Listen, this is what this is what they're gonna pay me. 
You know, you kind of got to, you know what I mean? Because as much as I didn't want to make it about money, the two years before that, I didn't make nothing. So he came to the party, and then that was it. Like, you know, that, that year, it was, it was funny, though, because it was one of those years we, like, all had, we all, like, had a chip on our shoulder. You know, Chris was just coming back. You know, Tucker didn't play the year before. Dave was the same. You know what I mean? Again, for me, I just came off the bench for two years. So we, you know, we came. And but what we what we did, like, we was, our, our, that Tigers team we had, was a little bit different than the two Tigers teams before that. And the reason why I say that is our first two weeks of training, all we worked on was defense. The difference is when I was with, with, with uh, Lindsey and them, we hooped. Like, we went in, like, every our, – our preseason was hooping. Like, we just used to go in there and play. You know what I mean? But then this preseason, all defense. For, like, two two weeks straight, all we did was work on D. And that's when I realized, actually, we going – because we had – we were solid. You know what I mean? I'm 6'4", Tuck 6'6". Six, six. Dave Thomas, 6'7", Neil Montrum, 6'11", Anstey, 7 feet. We was big. But then we defended really well. You know what I mean? And that's I think that's the one that, that's what got us the championship. Victoria got rid of me because they wanted to win. You know, their thing was they're going to win championships in their third and fifth season. I end up winning the championship in my third and fifth season. I always rub that in. I'm sorry I have to do that. But yeah, no, no. They got rid of me for that. that. D-Mac, you're 44 years of age. How were you doing it at that 43. Age? I was 43, yep, turning 44 in that. That June, I always kept myself, always kept myself pretty fit. Yeah, I was like, I, I always kept myself pretty fit. And not, again, not playing, not having to play, you know, 35, 40 minutes a game was good for me. You know, I came in, you know, four minute spurts, five minute spurts, and it ended up ended up perfect for me. You know what I mean? Like I could still, I could still play. Like I could still run a team. I don't have to score because we got guys that score. I score if I needed to and things like that. And you know, we end up. You know, end up winning, winning, winning another championship. Fourteen years in the league. Who, yeah. Who's the tough? Who was the toughest to guard? As you look back on it, who was the one that kept you awake at night the most? Donnell Me was one. He was always tough mm. because of his because he was six, like he was six five. But again, I'll say they all was tough. You know, Ricky was tough. Derek was tough. You know, Donnell was tough. You know, even CJ coming. You know, CJ was tough. All those guys were tough in their day. You know, again, Lenar, I got to guard Lenar Copeland because again, I'm not guarding Andrew. Andrew six eight, you know, no, I had to guard Copes. He was tough, and then you got to guard him. You know, you got to guard him into the, in that shuffle. It was it was hard to defend some of those guys. I actually guarded him more when I was forty because I we, we when I was with Al, you know, he put me on those point guards. You know what I mean? And I had you know you have you you have your good days shutting them down, but then some days they they get off on you. But this was more this was more later later in my career. So, D-Mac, have you marveled at the renaissance of the competition like so many of us have in the last sort of 12 to 24 months? You know, it's seemingly come back to life. And, and an extension of that, who catches your eye in the league now? When, you, when you're watching the game at night at home, who do you enjoy watching? Bryce Cotton. Um, I love watching it. Like, all, again, I'm a, because I'm a point guard, they, those are the first guys I look at. You know, so Bryce, you know, Bryce Cotton, Casper Ware, you know what I mean? And then last year, Scott Machado, I love, I love how he plays. Because, again, he almost reminds me of myself because of the way, he, you know, the way he dishes the ball. Uh, Melo Trimble was another one I used to like to watch. Well, like pretty much, pretty much all, all the guards, man. Like, yeah. all, like all, all the point guards. But, yeah, like you said, the way the league is now, I like the fact that they're getting, you know, we, they're getting, because there was a time, when we wasn't getting great import, you know what I mean? Like, they were bringing our imports that weren't that good. And I'm, I'm not going to say they weren't good. Or maybe it's just that the Australians have gotten so much better that you didn't have to bring out really, really good imports. You know what I mean? But now, the imports are really good. The Australians are really good. The league has gotten to that point where those are the guys, you know, they're bringing these guys out. You know what I mean? And that's a, I think that's a testament to Larry and 
and what he's doing for the league. You know, when they put in that, you know, I wish I wish they would have put that. I wish they would have put that marquee player in when I was playing. I would have loved that rule. You know what I mean? But you could pay. You can pay guys whatever you want. I would have, I would have loved that back then. So what he's done, so it's easy. You can get those guys now because you can, you know, you can, you can, you can pay the money to get, you know, to get those really, really good guys. You know, guys coming out of the NBA. So guys coming out of the NBA now are looking over here. And then you got to look at, you know, look at what what's happened last year. You know, you got two guys that's just got drafted that's played in this league. So now you're gonna get a lot of, you gonna, you can possibly get a lot of high school. And it's funny though, I think the NBA. And then I, I think the NBA looked at what was happening over here and said, you know what, we got no, we're not going to let Australia take all our players. So they created their own kind of, you know what I mean, their own kind of next stars mm. program over there. So it's a couple of guys from high, a couple of high school guys didn't want to go to college, so they planning, so they planning the G League, you know what I mean. But the, but the league is there, man. It's one of the it's easily one of the best top one of the top leagues in the, in the world it's been an absolute pleasure to chat today i mean they say life is full of sliding doors moments don't they and yours is no exception from the playground courts of harlem to a move across the world where you truly left your mark on our sporting landscape and to say you were a fan favorite would be an enormous understatement you performed but you also entertained and we as fans loved every minute of it. Well done on all you achieved, Daryl, and thanks a lot for joining us today. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Just jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you next time to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semi finals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.